0: Hello and welcome back to Episode 5 of The Rainbow Chaser, Colorful Tales from a Struggling Actor. I'm Terry Power and this section I am reading is called Working. Although Los Angeles is known as the City of Angels, there's a dark side wherein temptation of every kind is offered at nearly every turn of a street corner. Yes, in the late 90s, early noughties, I intended that play on words, drugs like heroin and crack were offered on the streets and at the public beaches very visibly. Its presence made my favorite haunts like Santa Monica and Venice Beach unrecognizable from the Bohemian days I remembered a decade earlier. I'm sure there were drugs there then, but it was handled more subtly in the underground culture of the place. In the noughties, stepping around a drug addict passed out on the pavement was routine if you visited these boroughs. Tourists were shocked, particularly when visiting Grauman's Chinese Theatre and seeing the Hollywood Walk of Fame. There, drug-addicted artists that got caught in the crossfire of the allure of fame and reality begged for change, pickpocketed grandpa, swore in front of the children, and walked directly into traffic. When I finally arrived in 1998, after my many misadventures crossing the U.S., my Mustang had a rebuilt engine, and I had a few hundred dollars in my pocket. Getting a place to live and finding a job were top priorities. I had some distant cousins on my mother's side that lived in the suburbs of Los Angeles, and after a few phone calls and days of couch surfing, I was able to negotiate a room rental. My cousins were a fairly young couple. They were a bit younger than I was, and they had three daughters, all under the age of 10. Renting a room in their home, to me, meant that the girls were squeezed together, but the extra income would help them make their mortgage payments. It seemed like a mutually beneficial situation at first, but the location and cramped conditions would prove difficult for me as a jobbing actor with a hectic schedule. My cousins lived in Glendora, which is about... 30 miles from downtown Los Angeles. Although this this didn't seem like a far distance to travel, in the height of LA traffic, you could be stranded on a freeway at a dead stop for hours. I remember a comedian once joked that the 405 freeway was also known as LA's parking lot. We laughed at that joke because it was true. Finding work at the 30 mile distance from the room rental at my cousin's home and with the meager funds I had was, as I would quickly discover, an impossible task. And although gas prices weren't what they are today in California, my Mustang was a guzzler. In my first week resident in LA, I watched my dwindling cash reserves fade away. I had a stroke of luck one day when I had purchased a backstage West paper, a must-have for jobbing actors in Los Angeles, at a newsstand on Melrose and read that Central Senex Casting was holding an open call for background actors. That afternoon, I was in Los Angeles trying to find work and not far from the casting offices. I motored over in my Mustang to North Hollywood and joined the casting line with all the other hopefuls. It was a pretty easy and immediate process to get signed up and in their casting books. However, it required that I spend my last few dollars to pay a registration fee. I reluctantly handed over my last 50 bucks and prayed that the investment would pay off. The casting assistants took records of all my personal details and snapped close-up and full-body photos of me for their database. Finally they handed me a slip of paper with instructions on how to call their job hotline for work. The process of casting background actors in the late 90s was to call up the job hotline and listen for the description of the job. This usually included what the production was, Uh, when and where it was happening, and details regarding the type of background actors they were seeking. If you fit their needs, you would then call the casting director of that project directly on another line. Often, the line was busy, so you'd have to keep calling back and again and again, and if you got through to the casting director, you would give them your ID number, and they would look you up on the database and say, yes, you're hired or no, sorry, you're not right for this one. If you were hired, you would be given all the details and told your call time, which was generally early the next morning. The casting hotline was updated every afternoon and actors could start calling after 5 p.m. That first day I signed up and went into the database, it was just after 5 p.m. when I was done. I exited the central casting offices and stood in the lobby of the building reading the materials they had handed me. When I watched, as actor after actor, still hovering in the lobby like me, picked up their cell phones and were trying to get cast. I didn't have a cell phone yet and felt defeated knowing that I couldn't immediately call in and didn't have the funds to buy a phone. That's when one of the casting directors, milling around the lobby and talking to the talent, approached me and asked if I was available the next morning. Of course, I said yes, and he took my ID number and gave me the details for the job. I was to show up with three outfit choices and check in with the hair and makeup crew on the Warner Brothers backlot at 5 a.m. The television show I would be working for was the aptly titled Working starring Fred Savage. The whole experience was exciting for a newbie jobbing actor in Los Angeles. Not only was I finally being paid and for doing something such as simple acting but I was getting to visit back lots of major studios working on sets of television shows, movies, music videos and commercials. I mean as a background actor I would be meeting and working with all kinds of talent including famous actors and making important connections as well as learning all the ropes and lingo of the entertainment industry. The day rate for a non-union background player at the time was pitiful. I believe it was about forty-eight dollars for an eight-hour shift. We almost always had a call time arrive early to the set and most production companies kept you there until your eight hours was up if you were lucky they fed you breakfast and lunch and if you were really lucky they cut you from the set after only a few hours of work we were paid the day rate whether we worked eight hours or two on a big production you could expect to be booked over several days and held each day into overtime. If they requested that you stay past your eight hours, they paid you time and a half each hour over. And if they requested that you stay over 12 hours, you would make your day rate, number $48 for non-union, each hour past that 12. This was known as golden time. I only went into golden time twice in the two years I worked as a background actor, but it was worth it, especially once I became a union member and my day rate skyrocketed. But I had to pay my dues, figuratively and financially, before I was paid a living wage as an actor in Hollywood. Driving onto the and the Warner Brothers Backlot to be part of the working television talent was super exciting. I had to meet the production coordinators on the Backlot and then a group of us background artists were marched to an empty sound stage. There we met with the wardrobe team and they took a look at the three outfits we brought to wear and selected the best for the scene. As I would learn we were selected based on our looks from the photos they took at the, at the casting building. So if the show took place on the East Coast, then they were looking for people that looked like New Yorkers or Midwesterners. They usually needed a range of ages and faces to enact a random crowd scene. And somehow with my long dark hair and light skin with freckles, I seem to always be cast in these productions. After wardrobe, We were sent to hair and makeup. That was such a delightful experience for me. As an actor, I always did my own makeup and hair in the theater and even had a certificate in makeup art. Just before moving across the country to pursue my dream of being a professional actor in Hollywood, I worked as the counter manager of Christian Dior Cosmetics and had the most extensive makeup kit of any jobbing actor I knew. I quickly recognized that I could be working as a makeup artist in Hollywood as a possible income earner. I talked to all the makeup crew and I made sure to take notes. When we were dressed and camera ready, we were sent to craft services and then to holding. I would soon learn what all these terms meant as I slowly over the next few years became a regular background artist and eventually served as a stand-in, stunt double, and day player. Craft services on these productions generally meant food. Cheaper productions had water, peanuts, and energy bars on offer for you throughout the day. On a well-financed production, you could get full course meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and might be eating at tables next to B-list celebrities. A-listers had bodyguards and had their assistants take food from craft services to their personal trailers. If they didn't have their own chefs prepare specific meals for them. For a jobbing actor, being fed on the set was a huge bonus. There were many days that those were the only meals I would eat. And several times I bagged up extras and took them home with me. Looking back at this time in my life, it always felt like I was living paycheck to paycheck, and each day was either a feast or a famine. However, I expected this trade-off as I pursued my dreams of working in Hollywood.